help my DTC grow. Strategies and quick wins that build up 8-figure DTC brand. How to create meaningful moments for your customers. Brian Stark, the founder and CEO of 100 Celsius, a CRM marketing agency that focuses on creating amazing customer experience for e-commerce brands. With a global team of nine members, Brian and his team have worked with dozens of seven- and eight-figure brands and generated more than 10 million US dollars in email and SMS revenue for clients in the past year alone. You will get the answers to the following questions. What are the peak moments for customers? How do you mark people's transitions? What are the challenges of creating unique moments for your customers? And how could you create a two-week customer engagement roadmap? And of course, I'm here to help your DTC brand grow, so I ask all my favorite questions at the end. Books to read, mistakes to avoid, quick growth tips and tools to use. Now let's get ready! Theory and practice, I know it's, it's general, but it's not the same thing. So if you have the theory to how to make an A-bomb, maybe it's working in practice. Not all theory working in practice. So I thought that it would be good to ask from maybe all of my guests, what was the thing that worked in theory, but didn't work in practice? Or it was a good hypothesis, but the practice said that, okay, it will not work. I think that that's just the truth, right? You hear like put the business books down and start start just doing stuff. Like you're gonna learn more about business by starting a business than going to get your MBA or or you know reading a ton of different self help books, that kind of thing. It's it's a real balance, but I I know that for me, like my path into CRM marketing and to starting my own agency was very much like a I think I know how to do this, but that all was like really challenged and like put to the test in practice. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but my background was working for an enterprise marketing technology company. So I worked for a customer data platform called Optimove. And we powered the retention marketing programs for a bunch of big brands like Stitch Fix, Dollar Shave Club, Spanx, like those types of companies. And I spent all day, you know, most of my days talking to, you know, founders and directors of marketing and VPs at seven, eight, nine figure brands. So I learned a lot about marketing. And this was before I was, I was selling, I was selling our technology, but I had not personally been a marketer before. And so obviously to do that, I thought I knew everything. I thought I, knew, I was like really, really smart. It was a bit of delusional self-confidence maybe, but I was kind of like, yeah, I could do this. There's more to it than that, I think, and it plays into how we do things at 100 Celsius and kind of our, our unique method and philosophy around, around CRM marketing. But needless to say, you know, I made the jump from selling, just selling something to actually now having to do it. And that's a great example of like, yeah, in theory, you know what this all looks like, but when it comes down to like, okay, how do you set something up in Clavio or how do you like, how do you write an email that your customers don't hate or all, all that stuff, you know, it comes with a whole lot of learning. And I think that that's the same with any kind of marketing or a new initiative, right? Like it's the confidence and then you're like, oh crap, this isn't working. And then you have to push through that trough to see the results on the other side. It was the same with me when I founded Toastmasters in our city that, uh, okay, price increase, learning about price increase, it's one thing, but telling everybody that we will increase the price because I fucked up and I <laughs> asked for too little, it's, it's not the same thing. Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't imagine. You've mentioned that you shifted from sales to marketing. 
Mm-hmm. What was the difference? For me, it was more so shifting from selling somebody else's thing to selling my own thing and also the marketing. So it, it came with a, a massive amount of learning because before I was just doing sales for a different company and then, you know, you start your own business and now you're not only the salesperson, but you're the primary marketer. You're the ops guy. You're the customer service dude. You're the tax guy. You got to understand your finances. And then I started hiring people. And now you have to lead a team and train people and manage people and hire and fire. And so I think that that whole transition is obviously just one that you can't really prepare for. And, and you know, your first couple of years of doing it just feels like a constant fire. <laughs> like, you know, you're just running around like, ah, trying to keep everything, keep, you know, keep all the balls in the air that you're juggling. But I think, you know, marketing and sales specifically, it's it's really two sides of the same coin, right? Like, wasn't it David Ogilvy or Claude Hopkins or, or one of those kind of pioneers of direct response marketing, but they were like, you know, advertising is just salesmanship at scale. That's really true. You know, so I, I got started in marketing more, more so when I started getting into marketing and, and learning how to write emails and all of that, I went more of the direct response route uh, initially. So my background was in, you know, kind of sophisticated CRM marketing for large brands. And then I learned the direct response side. So copywriting, you know, long form, short form, how to capture and hook attention, how to convert people. So I think that combining those two, you really learn that the fundamental, the good fundamentals of sales apply to marketing. Uh, it's just the application is different. Yeah, I just wanted to ask because uh, maybe DTC brand owners do the same path or do the same journey that they are good at sales, uh, maybe a bit of marketing, and now uh, they have to hire and fire and get to learn all of this stuff in the beginning. And if they want to scale up, they have to learn a lot. Especially for D2C brands, right? Because when you start, it, it depends, you know, unless unless you come in with a lot of funding, D2C brands are really capital intensive. So you have to spend a lot more on things like inventory, on shipping, you know, you're, you're just your expenses to run your business and deliver, create and deliver goods are higher than, for example, an agency. So for me, my biggest expense is payroll because I don't have inventory to sell other than our our services. But yeah, so w- w- what that plays into is that D2C founders really have to know how to do a lot of things themselves because, you know, especially in the beginning stages, a lot of them just don't have the free, you know, free cash flow to be able to hire that kind of stuff out. What could be the early checkboxes that they need to check as an early stage for a DTC brand? What to start with as a DTC brand? So email marketing, SMS marketing, Facebook ads, Google ads, Uh, videos, UCG content, and so on. What should they focus on? And after that, in the scale-up phase, what should they focus on? So what is the difference between starting and scaling up a DTC brand, in your opinion? Yeah, my, that's that's a great question. I, my philosophy around this has shifted. I think the more exposure I've had, longer time in market. I run an email, SMS, direct mail marketing agency, so kind of retention marketing. There's a lot of uh, talk out there like, you know, retention is the new acquisition, things like that. It's just not the case when you're when you're getting started. You're not going to scale your business with email. Like I always like really laugh when I hear that phrase, like scale your business with email because it can support scaling. It can make you scale more profitably, but like you're not going to scale it with your back end. I think when you're starting out in the earlier stages, you really need to focus on product market fit on like creating a great product 
you really need to focus on getting it in front of the right people, uh, getting enough eyeballs on it. So like your acquisition engine, however you're gonna acquire customers, like that should be your primary focus basically when you're starting out is like, how are you gonna acquire customers? You really don't wanna be losing money on those, on those customers that you acquire. So you wanna be at least kind of breaking even or making a small profit on those initial customers. But like you really want to get that engine going whether it's through Facebook ads, whether it's through TikTok, whether it's through SEO, through Amazon, however you're gonna acquire those customers. The earlier stages, you really wanna be like listening to your customers too and like getting a lot of feedback, having lots of conversations, really understanding like what are people like, they don't like, and then, you know, launching products. It's more like the fundamentals, like the business fundamentals and just getting it in front of enough people and having something that solves a real problem for people that people want building community and you notice i like, didn't even really mention email at that stage like it's important i would say like get the minimum viable email stuff set up at that stage you know like a couple couple automated flows like have a good welcome email or welcome series good abandoned cart series a good post po couple emails for your post purchase right but like don't go out and hire an email agency at you know, $40,000 a month. I mean, maybe, but <laughs> it depends on, on, on the size, maybe a contractor, but you know, that, that's a stage where you could, there's a lot of good resources to kind of get that basic stuff up. Now, once you start scaling, the biggest challenge for brands, one of the biggest challenges, and this is like what we talked about all the time, you know, at my last company, and I see all the time is that you'll see seven figure multi seven figure brands that barely have enough profit left over to keep the lights on one of the biggest challenges in scaling up e-commerce brands <clears throat> especially if your primary acquisition source is you know paid media and facebook ads is that you are um, a lot of brands are largely unprofitable from a unit economics point when they bring in their first customer. So their first purchase is like largely unprofitable. As you think, you know, you're paying a high cost of acquisition, you know, maybe you're offering some sort of a deal or a discount or an attractive offer to bring that customer in. You've got high, you know, landed costs on your inventory and shipping and taxes and blah, 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 right? Merchant fees, everything. After everything goes, like you might barely be making a profit or not even, for, you know, you might be losing money. And so you don't want to, again, it's like, this is not I think in practice is another one in theory. You like, oh, what's the LTV of your customers? And then like you can spend up to that LTV to scale. In practice, it's a lot harder to do from a cash flow management standpoint. But what you really want um, at that stage in order to support profitable scaling is a, a system and like a backend marketing infrastructure that allows you to consistently turn one-time buyers into two-time buyers and then continue bringing them back for repeat purchases, bring them onto subscriptions, get them to refer friends, really create that sort of viral engine on the back end. Um, and that's really where, where we support brands um, at my agency. You mentioned customers. That it's it's a big focus. We have to know what they want, what is their problem, and so on and so on. But uh, the more interesting question for me is how do you get stick in their head? So how would you be the brand that uh, we'll mentioned from the top of the mind, or how could you create meaningful moments for them? Yeah, that's that's what, where we where we really focus and specialize. I saw an interesting statistic. I forget where I saw it, but I think this is true that like we receive 250, 270 marketing emails a day on average. Our phones are 
increasingly blowing up with branded messages. We see so many ads online. So it's tough. It's actually really tough for a e-commerce brand, a B2C brand to stick out. We've thought a lot about this, right? Like what we've realized, and I think this has been aided a lot by like some really great other marketers and marketing thought leaders and books, but the the thing to do, I think increasingly, if you are an e-commerce or a retail brand that wants to stick out is focus on exactly like what you said, engineering what we call like dynamic moments, or you could call them magic moments or surprise and delight moments. But basically a customer's perception of your brand and what sticks in their mind is largely going to, is going to be influenced much more by you having a handful or a few different peak experiences or like really, really amazing surprise and delight moments that totally cut through and, and flip the script than just doing everything right. So it's like, you're going to get way more juice out of the amazing moments than just kind of a baseline good everywhere. We can talk more about this, but like the, I think the goal, once you've achieved like a baseline level of competency with most of your marketing experiences, whether that's email, SMS, whether like once you have your bases covered and you're making money and you're short up any really bad experiences. Now I think winning brands should really over index on figuring out how they can go the extra mile and create like wow experiences because that's what's going to stand out. Could you tell me an example from a brand you've managed? What, what could be these wow moments? Here's a really good example. And obviously this, this kind of a thing would not apply to most brands, but take the sentiment and, you know, think about how you can apply it. We work with a really awesome brand called Till the Hala Project. They're, uh, I think they just cracked the Inc. 200 so that, you know, big brand, amazing story. They're a company that is founded on a mission to help veterans and their families go back to the military and then also honor fallen heroes. So veteran, veteran founded, and I could spend a lot more time talking about the brand that they're amazing. If you haven't checked them out, go check them out, Topahala Project. But they believe that they're a company that funds their mission through the sale of apparel. And what that means practically for them is that every day they find two families and two next of kin of fallen heroes, of fallen veterans, and they create custom commemorative plaques and they hand, they hand deliver them to the families or the next of kin of fallen heroes. So like every single day, there's at least two families that are having a surprise, like a completely unexpected surprise and delight moment where they open the door and they get a custom commemorative plaque for, you know, their fallen veteran and their family. Amazing, right? It's, a, it's incredible. But can you imagine what that's done for the business's growth as well? So they're having an incredible, incredible impact. But not only that, they're constantly having people sharing them on social media. They're constantly being featured in local news stations. They're constantly getting um, generating amazing word of mouth and goodwill. And that's how they've been able to scale up to Inc. the Inc. 200 in you know just a few years, like three years. So that's a pretty extreme example. Not every e-commerce brand can do that. But like you know, take that what worked there. It's a surprise and delight moment that was specific. It was impactful. It uh, it honored and celebrated the customer and or the the person. Um, it was very and so. There's so many different ways you can apply that. We you can 
send somebody something awesome the mail after their third purchase. There's all kinds of things with email you can do. Somebody buys for the first time, uh, why not create a you know video ad from the founder just thanking them for their purchase, uh, for a new customer for their purchase, and then just run it as a retail, as a custom audience uh, and add to that custom audience of new buyers. No call to action, no nothing. Like there's all kinds of things you can do that where you're really just your main goal here is you want to stop your customers in their tracks and be like, have them go, wow, I can't believe they just did that. I would be also surprised that uh, if I buy some, I don't know, leather belt and the founder just sent me a video about it. It will bring back the, the feeling of uh, brick and mortar stores, maybe. So if, if you buy in a mom and pop's shop and the pop will say, okay, thank you, my child. You will support this little belt making store and now you are the part of the community. Wow. We really moving a physical store experience to online world. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because isn't that the truth? What's the whole point of personalization and all of this, all of the tech, new technology and the, and you know, what people have been saying for the last decade of like, we want to create one-to-one customer experiences. We want to personalize at scale. We want to, you know, increase the relevance of our marketing. If in in practicality, what are you really trying to do? You're trying to replicate the experience of walking into your local your local store where you like know the person behind the counter. They know you. They know a bit about your family. They know what you've bought before. They have a great new product they can recommend to you. And you leave feeling taken care of. That's really the point, right? And I think that there is like this general trend of like what's old is new again. And I think people are realizing that more and more as things like AI, as things, as as technology just progresses so quickly, where it's so easy to feel lost and feel like, how do I succeed in this new environment? How do I navigate this? You know, it's really easy to feel lost, but I, I really believe that the thing to do is business owners is to focus on the things that don't change, which is that like, we're all people still, maybe AI augmented people, but we're all people. And we all like to feel connected, loved, taken care of, respected. Um, we all like a good deal. We all like, you know, the fundamentals, the the, the the core things that we know won't change. Just focus on that, focus on connecting with people. And I think that this method for, you know, thinking about your marketing more like engineering moments is a really great way to do that. Maybe we it will eliminate worst uh, or worse customer experiences. Like uh, if you go to an offline store, maybe 20 years ago, there would be a rude assistant or somebody who, I don't know, give you some bad words. But uh, online could be any worst customer experience appear. Or it would be like, uh, okay, it's general. And that's worse now. Well, something you, you're speaking to too is like the bar for customer experience. I think with online and e-commerce has is still like pretty dang low. It's not rocket science to stand out and be like better than most people. You just have to like put a little bit of intention behind it. Uh, put a little in, little bit more intention behind your customer service. Put a little bit more intention behind your your marketing. Make it. It's something good to remember too, because it's like the vast majority of customer service experiences that you have with brands like are probably not that positive. So you do it a little bit better, and you're in really good shape. What are these peak moments of of customer? The touching points of of customers touching your your brand. Where should I focus on? I didn't come up with this, this part of it. But if if you're interested in learning more about, about this method, there's an amazing book. It's called The Power of Moments. 
Chip Heath and Dan Heath. So they, they've written a bunch of interesting books uh, like Made to Stick, uh, Switch, right? So like really good books about like marrying consumer behavior with commercial activity and whatnot. But their their perspective, and I, and I agree with some additions for direct-to-consumer is that if you're going to focus on creating peak moments and engineering these types of moments, there's a few different places you should focus. Place number one, marking transitions. So think about the important transitions a customer takes in their journey with an e-commerce brand. There's signing up for an email list. So you've gone from visitor to making a small micro commitment to being a part of that brand's experience. It's small, but you can still market in a special way and, and create a peak moment around that. A really, really big one from a milestone perspective is becoming a customer. Becoming a customer is, I think, probably the most important that most brands don't do uh, nearly enough to commemorate and to mark. But like somebody's just taken an important step and said like, hey, I'm gonna exchange my money for your thing. That's something that should be celebrated. It's a sign of trust and it, and it should be celebrated. And I think that most, like again, most brands don't do nearly enough to really commemorate that, that transition. But that's an amazing opportunity for a peak moment. So like, what can you do when somebody becomes a customer and buys for the first time to really make that experience exceptional. And then you can think about each additional purchase, like maybe another third purchase, maybe when they, whatever standard you have for like your VIP site, when somebody meets that criteria, what can you do to commemorate that and make that a really special moment? Maybe it's sending them an automated email. Maybe it's doing that. Plus you send them something, a special postcard via Postpilot in the mail. Maybe you run a custom ad to them. Maybe you uh, have customer service, call them. <laughs> like, there's, there's a whole lot of things that you could do actually to, to do that. So transitions, milestones are like a really important place to look when you're thinking about creating peak moments. For retail and for e-commerce specifically, there's another category which is kind of interesting, which are like the, like triggered and behavioral automations. When you think about like things like your abandoned carts, your browse abandonment, your site abandonments, welcome series, like these types of automations, they're normally described and talked about in the frame of making more sales, right? Like we're going to increase the relevance to increase conversions. That's true, but they're also an opportunity for creating standout kind of surprise and delight moments. For example, let's say you are a former customer of my brand. You used to buy a lot and then you stopped and it's been a year, but you're still in our Klaviyo account or you're still in our, you know, you're still in our whatever marketing tool we're using. And then we, we notice that you visit our site. Most brands wouldn't do anything specific, but if you're thinking about it, like how do we create personalized experiences that actually stand out and cut the noise? What if you were looking for that segment of people visiting your site. And when that person hit your site, you actually popped up a custom form on your site that said, hey, great to see you again. Glad to have you back. <laughs> Would you like a discount on your next purchase to come back? And it was like a yes or no and and, and whatnot. But like you, you recognize that they're there, you recognize their history. Maybe you automate a site abandonment, a special site abandonment series for those lapsed site visitors. There's a line between creepy and, and personalized there, but you know, you get my point that like you can you can look at those experiences like a great way to connect with customers in a meaningful way, uh, in addition to just making more sales. I'm sure that there are some skepticals 
who said that, okay, I need a lot to do with these uh, automations and uh, maybe I have some challenges. Maybe I should hire some people who, who are capable of doing this and I have to analyze the shit out of it and how to do it in practice. So in theory, wow, it sounds great, but how could I do it in practice? What are the challenges and maybe where's the money at the end of the day? Do you have any examples or, or numbers that will uh, make sure who is listening that, okay, it will work, it will work, I should do it. So what are some of the challenges when it comes to actually implementing this stuff that I see with most brands? Well, I, I think you're spot on that like, just like any, it comes back to, you know, in theory versus in practice, there's a big gap between the two of those. And I think it depends absolutely on your ability, um, your your level of experience as a founder, as an owner, or what experience exists on your team. I can tell you, like normally, we work with a few different types of brands, and I so so like when a brand makes it to working with 100 Celsius for their uh, CRM marketing, so their email, direct mail, etc. Normally, it's like a, a few different scenarios. Scenario one is they have a team, a brand has a team, but their experience, they don't have the time to invest in doing the level of work that's needed to really create an awesome Sierra marketing backend system. Because, uh, you know, when you get to seven, eight, nine figures, like a lot of times your existing team is really struggling just to kind of keep things on the rails, right? Like we see a lot of a lot of brands where it's just like, it always feels like it's you're behind the eight ball. You know, you're always struggling to like, even do the do the minimum just to kind of keep things moving let alone like sit down and like engineer these peak experiences on your back end you know they're important but like you don't have the time nor do you necessarily have the specialized expertise on your team because maybe you've gotten to this point by hiring generalists that are maybe good at a lot of things and good at the fundamentals, but maybe just don't have that specialized experience. So, you know, the benefit maybe of hiring somebody like a team like ours is that this is what we do. And we have the systems and the team and the perspective to install these types of things. But yeah, I mean, honestly, it does it does require just like a lot of time, a specific expertise that I even I think a lot of, you know, most most email agencies aren't thinking about, um, you know, unfortunately, like most email agencies are still very much kind of in this like realm of like, we're going to make you more money with email, kind of like that we're going to scale your brand with email, which really any agency right now that's like where their core value prop to you is like, we're going to, you know, juice your email revenue or your percentage of revenue from Clavio or things like that. Like that's just like, not a good look. It's not really what you, what you honestly want from a partner in that realm. it's focused on the wrong kpis it, it's actually not rocket science to make more money from email flows for example like you know you can go from not having them to having them and they could be crap but you're still going to make a lot of money from having an abandoned cart flow in place or a welcome series right like it does not take a genius to do that but where the opportunity is and, and where, where what you really want in that case is you really want a partner that understands email, SMS, direct mail, these channels are just communication channels. They're just part of your brand strategy, your brand engagement, your customer engagement strategy. They're important, but not more important than what you're doing on the front end or not more important than your customer service or not more important than all these things. And they need to all work synergistically together to support your connection with your customer and selling products. And I think that's, that's really the key. But yeah, it, it is a lot to do, which is why to close the loop on this, which is why most brands 
do end up when they reach a certain point, they have to outsource it to an agency or they need to invest in building a really experienced internal marketing team, which a lot of companies don't have the resources or the funding they do. But if they do, it's great. Probably better to do that. If they don't have a marketing team or they are thinking about uh, hiring uh, 100 Celsius or or other customer engagement uh, agency, could you tell them maybe a strategy or a tactic uh, or a plan that they could think about, for example, a two-week customer engagement roadmap, what are the important steps and what are the not important stuff that they won't bother themselves with? So if they're looking to hire an agency, like what are some kind of how to go about that and what to look for? What to look for in an agency or how to plan their customer engagement roadmap? Oh, sure. Okay. So I guess the two are pretty interconnected in that we've worked with a lot of brands that have gotten burnt by agencies before. Listen, you know, most agency owners, most uh, most contractors, most freelancers, they want to do a great job. You know, like their intention is not to do a bad job for their clients. But I even experienced this when I was getting started out that what happens so often when when a brand goes to hire an agency, let's say they, they say like, okay, I'm going to pay you X thousand dollars a month. You're going to take over my email marketing. Well, that agency or that contractor, if that's the way that they start their engagement, they are under a lot of pressure whether it's self-imposed or by the client, to start to live value fast. So what ends up happening is that the strategic planning and really creating a thoughtful strategy, that period gets super compressed or is non-existent. And then the agency or the freelancer kind of defaults to templates. They default to proven frameworks that work, that have worked in the past. Um, and what you end up with as a brand when, when that when that happens is you end up with no, you know, no, no, go figure like a cookie cutter strategy that does is not creating those peak experiences, does not create magic moments for your customers. And, you know, just ends up having to get retooled again in 12 months, 18 months by the next agency that you hire because you're disappointed with the results. We see that a lot. It will be just another flyer with different text. Exactly. So, you know, basically like that realization, you know, that's, that's why at 100 Celsius, like we never work with a client before doing what we call, you know, our customer engagement roadmap, which is a structured two week long consulting project where we go and do a soup to nuts audit of the entire business and put together a really highly custom, super thoughtful plan for brands, customer engagement strategy via across email sms direct mail and we you know we lay out all of this stuff with multiple discovery calls like as a team it takes us a long time to do it which is why it's paid but what's great about that is it gives us plenty of time to plan out and then actually show the client what we're going to do for them before they have to make that long-term commitment for like a three-month engagement for example so all that to say like i i believe and and i'm obviously i'm a little biased because this is how we do it but i i really believe that if you are a brand looking to hire an agency it's in your best interest to know what they're going to do for you and to make sure that you're really aligned not only on strategy but also on philosophy before you enter into a long, longer term engagement because there's real risk in picking the wrong partner and there's a lot high switching costs. You know, it's hard to switch agencies, hard to kind of rip and replace at, at that stage and, and you don't want to have them do a whole bunch of stuff that you're going to have to have somebody else redo. So, you know, being really thoughtful about it, I think is super important. Yeah, so that's the agency side. 
And last but not least, I want to give some seeds and nutrition for DTC brands to grow. I have four quick questions. The first one is uh, what books, you already mentioned some books, but books or, or influencers, blogs, would you recommend to read or follow? for a DTC brand owner or a marketer? There's two books that I've read recently that I think are super, super good. The Power of Moments is one I already mentioned. It's not a recent read for me, but it's it's a really impactful one. And I think it's very different than most marketing books, but would highly recommend if you're listening to this and you want to think more and you want to explore this idea more, that's an amazing one. Um, the Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. Uh, the other one that I would recommend that I loved recently, it's it's called The Human Element. We will have a work- workshop at the company from this, The Human Element. Yeah, the, okay, The Human Element. It's by David Schoenthal and Lauren Nordgren. And the full title is The Human Element, Overcoming the Resistance That Awaits New Ideas. You combine the two of those books and you have a really interesting framework for growing any company or progressing any idea, I think. I need to spend even more time with them, but th- these are two really, really good books. So more theory, but like immediately practical, I think in, a, in many ways. Yeah, as far as like resources, gosh, I mean, there's so many. Just get on D2C Twitter, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> but one one that I, I always really love, it's like there's not a whole ton of, um, not a huge amount of, I'm going to give one pretty predictable one and then one kind of like less predictable one. Nick Sharma, you're probably familiar with Nick Sharma, the D2C guy. He's got a great Sunday email newsletter that if you're going to read an email newsletter about marketing and stuff, like that's a really good one to read. He's got such good, such good content. It's like always, I'm always surprised at how practical and useful it is. Um, and it just goes to show like this, this dude is just like super, super freaking good at what he does. So I would read that. And then the other thing that I would, I would actually highly advise e-commerce founders to aggressively start learning and getting better at is management and delegation, specifically like being learning how to uh, leverage like really talented offshore talent and global talent to grow your business. I'm so confident that that's a area where people that are super good at outsourcing, at creating systems, at delegating important tasks in their business, like that's the dream, right? You want to build a business that supports your lifestyle and doesn't become a prison. And you can't do that if you're doing everything. So you really need to learn how to outsource, um, how to create those SOPs, create those systems. So there's a lot of resources out there for that. Like if anybody's interested, I can they can reach out and I can send you a lot more. But those are probably some good ones. The second question would be that, uh, what is the biggest mistake that DTC brands could make? The single biggest one. Immediately gut reaction was like, not listening to your customer, but I'm not sure if that's actually the the biggest one. If I really thought more about it, I'm sure that there's probably a, a different one. But like the one that is sticking out to me right now is just like getting your economics wrong and like getting your financials and the unit economics of your business wrong. Kind of boring and sad, but like the unit economics of your business, the the profitability, your margins, like especially in the current economic conditions where there's a lot of headwinds. If you don't have good economics, good margins, good if you have to spend too much to acquire customers, all that stuff, like it doesn't really matter what you're gonna do with email or, or Facebook ad. You pour millions of dollars in and if you're losing money on the front end, it doesn't matter, right? So really spend some extra time with your with your numbers. 
think in this in this climate yeah and, and you could uh, you could continue this idea with the third question that could you tell me your quick growth tip related to customer engagement practical thing you could do right now if you have an e-commerce brand it's very much a customer engagement win 21 days you probably have a post-purchase email flow in place at some point, it probably starts when somebody places an order and goes for, I don't know, seven days, something like that. Here's another variation of that. It's super easy. It'll take you 10 minutes to do, but it'll make a massive difference. 21 days after somebody buys, create an automation, one email, plain text, and have it come from your customer service person or up customer service person. It, it should look like a, a real plain text email from a real person. And literally, all you need to do is write, Hey, first name, thanks again so much for ordering from us the other week. Uh, now that it's been a few weeks since you've bought, I wanted to reach out. How's everything going? Cheers. That's it. Couple sentences, plain text email. We call it the new customer check-in email. And what's going to happen is you're going to start getting floods of customer responses. And everybody net buys now thinks that you care about them. And you can respond back to those responses with things like, wow, that's amazing. Here's a discount code for your next order. Wow, that's so cool that you loved our product. Would you mind copying and pasting that as a review on our website? Hey, what do you think about this kind of product? Like you start conversations and that one email can change the trajectory of your you know, customer engagement strategy. Yeah, it's opening opportunities and maybe helping you decide on which way you are going after that. So if, if you get responses, I don't know, 10 out of 100 that uh, testimonials, that you will go with the testimonials. Wow, it's great. And it's so easy. Hmm, good. And the fourth question would be that, uh, what tools would you use as a DTC brand who is growing? You could say also Shopify apps or other softwares that they should use. I think Klaviyo still the gold standard email marketing tool for most brands that are sub 100 million a year, like probably at this stage. There's a lot of other ones that are like, you know, there's CDPs and more like sophisticated orchestration tools. And I have a lot of gripes with Klaviyo in the way that there's a lot of limitations and inflexibility with the platform, but they're still the best that I've seen. You know, SMS, we we like Klaviyo. We also really like Postpilot a lot. You should, or Postscript, sorry. Postpilot, you should be looking at for direct mail, for sure. Like Drew, Michael, and the team over there are awesome. Um, there's so many. I think the direct mail is just like continuing to be more and more important and coming back. Uh, you know, we really like Gorgeous for customer service. We really like, you know, reviews.io or Kendo for reviews. You should look at having like post-purchase surveys in place to get better customer insights. So maybe things like no commerce or fairing. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a whole lot, but, but you, you just want to get your, you know, you get the fundamentals right. Subscriptions, you know, there, there's like, I would look at, like the Retextions or Skios or Smarters of the world. Installing an app wouldn't be solving any uh, problems, but it could help you. Yeah. Thank you for accepting our call, Brian. Awesome. Well, it was such a pleasure chatting with you, Miklos, and, and thanks for having me on. And don't forget to try these tips today. For more seeds and nutrition, stay tuned for the next episode.